I know you don't work on your personal website. Yeah. Um, but I do. Uh-huh. I like to tinker on it. And I've been tinkering on it for like the last 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And like, have you ever just stared at like line heights and you're like, oh, is it better at one or two? <laughs> and no one on the face of the earth would ever know the difference. Like you can pick yeah. either one. It's going to be fine. But you just sit there and just, no, no, no. It's slightly better. A little more space. No. Yeah, little, yeah, little less. A little more. A little more. I don't know. It's fun. But also after an hour of that, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't be exhausted working on yeah. my personal site. Sounds super healthy. Yeah. This is a productive use of a weekend. <laughs> Anyways, that's what I've been up to. And now we get to talk about actual design. Hey, here we go. Welcome to episode 386 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach, in your right ear. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing? I started saying the whole right ear thing, just so that people can tell us apart. Yeah, well, you know, the interesting thing is last time I did show notes, I did it on my laptop Mm -hmm. instead of on my sort of external monitor or headphones. And it was very obvious the left-right balancing that you have for our voices on the laptop speakers. I don't know why. It was more obvious there than even in headphones or or on my external speakers. So, I don't know. Maybe I couldn't tell if you did anything different, but on my laptop, I'm like, oh, wow, clearly coming from the right. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's not too far to the right that you get, like, numb ear on the side that the person isn't talking, you know? Can I... Can I just vent really quick before we get too far into this episode? All right. There are people who are super rich Mm -hmm. and super famous. Uh Actors, musicians, venture capitalists. Yeah. And these motherfuckers keep showing up on podcasts with their AirPods in the year (laughs) 2021. Like, I've been listening to podcast interviews with very established podcasters, Mm -hmm. and they sound like garbage. And I'm like, come (sighs) on. Even after all of quarantine 2020, like you're at home, you can't go, there's no studios, like just buy a hundred dollar microphone. Anyways, I don't know. Mini vent. I feel like we put in more work to the audio quality than like actual podcasts that make money and, and, and our businesses, right? Yeah. Uh, even the the left right thing, like it's such a it's, simple it's thing. Small, it's but, a detail, yeah. But it makes a huge difference, especially you know when we have an interviewee, they go in the center. You know, they do this with songs, right? Like certain instruments will be panned in different ears, so it feels like there's a, a band playing in front of you. But yeah, I don't hear it very much in the podcast. It's just a mono stream of audio, just mono, crappy quality, not edited, and. It seems like they would be more successful if they just put in the little bit of extra work, but it's hard to know if they're actually successful or not with kind of crappy audio. Yeah, it seems to be doing okay already. Like, I don't know if the ROI yes. is worth it. it. Well, it's part of the reason I can't listen to Clubhouse because Clubhouse is horrible. Oh, really? There is no infrastructure to plug in an external microphone into a Clubhouse conversation. So mm. it's literally like listening to phone a call. group call from like middle school, right? Like everybody. I guess so. I don't know. You had friends in middle school? <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? Yeah. Uh, it was brutal. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. So right. before we get started, huge shout outs to Copilot. Copilot is one of our favorite apps. Yeah. Dare I say. Uh, home, home screen, screen worthy. For both of us. Yeah. Copilot makes it really easy to keep track of all your money. It's a budgeting app, but it's also a whole lot more. It's going to make your finances make sense. You should check it out. We think you're going to love it. We love it. We use it every day. It's at copilot.money. 
thanks so much to Copilot for supporting the show. Yeah, and if you want to help me out and uh, use my code, that's Bravo Seven Niagara Golf Seven Alpha. I don't know if N is Niagara, but that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. We recommend it. Copilot.money. Use Marshall's code for some bonus. I think you get like a free month or something, right? Something like that. Yeah. And then I get a kickback. Yeah. So help me out if you want to. If not, just uh, it's a good app regardless. Okay. We also have some new very important pixels this week. Gang, another just yeah. so much support. It really means a lot. Thank you to everyone who seriously support us on Patreon this week. So we got a lot of names to get through. Strap in. Uh, strap in for Brian's about to butcher the most important sounds in the world to you. Here we go. <laughs> Huge shout outs to Lee Lamon, Edita Niamiska, Jamie, Brandon Hills, Jonathan DeWitt, Guilherme Kaiser, Lillian Lynn, Eris Acoba, Kyle Stewart, Hugo Tunius, Kish Patel, Michael Otto, Dennis Zastanchenu. He messaged me. Dennis messaged me on Patreon. And I asked for the phonetic pronunciation. It's Zastanchenu. Zastanchenu. There you go. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. Dennis. Yeah, yeah. Include the pronunciation. You'll help Brian's life out a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. Sometimes, like, we get a new supporter, and I message everybody who subscribes to the Patreon. And sometimes a name will come in. I'm like, thank you so much. By the way, hit me up with that phonetic. Um, <laughs> anyways, I had to do that. More names. This, so. Thanks, Dennis. Uh, Kelvin O'Shea, Scott Underwood, Lachlan Campbell, Lucas Van Gombos, Sam Sia, Ravi Aula. Sorry if I butchered that one. And last but not least, Brian Nelson. Well, at the very least, I think you got that one right. Thank you, everyone, for supporting the yes, show. Yes, thank you. This week. What a list. All right. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that listeners like you. Just like you. Yes. You, Jim. <laughs> No, really, this show is possible because people like you actually contribute every month. It pays for all of our software, hardware, and the effort that it takes to make the show as polished as, as we think it is. Uh, you know, noticing that Marshall's coming out of your right ear and I'm coming out of your left ear, this takes time and iteration. And we appreciate all of your support to make this possible for us to record every single week. So whether this is your first episode or your 386th episode, if you've been enjoying the podcast, we would love to have you uh, support the show and make it possible for us to continue doing this going forward. If you go to patreon.com slash design details, you can support us for just a dollar a month. This is as accessible as we could possibly make it. And in return, you get access to a bonus segment of every episode called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. And the sidebar is a second half of the episode. It's usually an extra bonus listener question, an extra topic, an extra kind of cool thing, always design related. For example, today we talked all about design debt, how to deal with it, how to fight against it, when to accept it, coping mechanisms for it, uh, Mm -hmm. everything related to design debt. So if design debt is on your mind and you want to hear us talk about that, Go to patreon.com slash design details. You'll get access to the sidebar today, as well as our backlog of sidebars and full episodes of design details going forward. So thank you again to everyone who has supported the show this week. And uh, we hope if you're not already, you'll consider joining us this next week. That's again, patreon.com slash design details. Join the fam. Become a VIP. Join the fam. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I get to message everybody as they join. Like I mm-hmm. get the email notification and I send everyone a message. 
And the message, I mean, I'm not like personalizing everything, but it's not scripted. And it's usually like, hey, what's up? Welcome to the fam. So glad you're supporting the show, you know, but I love that. Like, welcome to the fam. You're in the club now. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of people ask if that's an automated reply and it is not. (laughs) Okay, let's get into our main topic. All right. Our main topic is another listener question coming to us on GitHub from user Joey Jungle. Joey says... Designing with grid systems, question mark? (laughs) Great question. (laughs) Yeah. Just kidding. Here's some details. All right, here we go. I've seen a ton of articles about using grids in design and using an 8-pixel grid system as a baseline for spacing, but I don't really understand the mechanics of setting that up in practice, particularly for mobile. Because none of the iPhone devices are evenly divisible by 4, 8, 12 pixels, it doesn't seem like there's a great way of setting up a square grid for your design. Preach. It seems like there should be a way of setting up a device frame with a four-column grid and then nesting a component frame inside of that device frame with the component frame using a square eight-pixel grid that neatly flows across the full width of two or four columns where every eighth pixel from the square grid lands perfectly on the edges of the columns and no fractions of squares are spilling over into the gutters or margins. Am I missing something about setting up grids or am I trying to use them in a way that isn't really possible? Uh, there's yeah. a few more details here, but I think that's the the spirit. Designing with grid systems, especially on mobile. I feel yes. like this is speaking your language, Marshall. Oh boy, I'm, I'm rubbing my hands together like a fly right now, Brian. <laughs> uh, but before I get into my monologue, I'll, I'll let you make any points that you'd like to make first. <laughs> all right, all right, here we go. Here, so here's some of my thoughts. I, I think the mobile callout is a good one. I think it is important to think slightly differently on web versus mobile. I think there's maybe even another way to slice this, which is like, what are the product components and like what's happening inside of a product versus maybe like a marketing page or a really content heavy page, like a blog post. I think those kinds of things usually require different layouts. I guess, you know, we could say it depends, but if we're painting in broad strokes, like product components versus a landing page, you might not have the exact same grid system or spacing system. But I think within each of those, uh, like product or more marketing style layouts, I think it's important to remember that the, the spacing you have happens at sort of different granularities, right? Like you might have the overall page layout, like sidebar detail or top nav and then single column layout or something like that. But then within that overall page layout, you have component groups. And then within component groups, you have individual components. Like you might have a button as an individual component, but then the button's relation to a piece of copy or to an icon. And I feel like the eight-point grid that we talk about a lot, in my experience, is mostly useful when thinking about components and component groups and less useful when thinking about page layouts. Like, I never designed a page layout. I'm like, ah, is this going to be perfectly divisible by eight? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Web is usually responsive. People are going to be on all sorts of browser sizes. Mm -hmm. In that world, I'm thinking more in terms of constraints. Like, is this filling space? Does this have a max width, right? But once you get down into, like, component groups or individual components, like a button or a label or the way list items stack, that's where I start applying the the eight-point grid, right? Like, okay, I want this button to have eight top and bottom and maybe 12 left and right padding mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's where I want that system to apply. Okay, so that those are my points. I don't know. <laughs> where do you want to jump in, Marshall? Yeah, uh, I agree with all that. 
And I think maybe one of the points that Joey's getting at here is the problem of device width. So how do you think about this? And typically, yes, exactly like you said, I think about it from an atomic size upward. Like the eight-point grid is, it goes up. It doesn't come down. It's not, a, it's not a trickle down the thing that starts at the high level and works its way through the hierarchy. It starts at the atomic level, at the very smallest things that you make, like you're talking about buttons those paddings and everything. And that trickles up to create a grid compliant design. How does this work when you have, say, a 375 width phone, for example? Uh, how do uh-huh. you square that circle? Well, you can't be completely adherent to the eight point grid, right? Otherwise, you'll have it hanging off the edge if you start it in the top left of the screen and just go down to the right eight points for everything. Uh, What you really want to do is you want to think about it as moving in from the edges of the screen. So you want to think about it mostly from the way I think about it, especially on mobile, is mostly from top and then in from the left and in from the right. So on an odd width phone, you're going to have this kind of flexible center area. And most lockups, that's how it works. You have set margins on on the left and right side of the screen, but there's some flexible component in the middle, whether that's a text string or an image or you know the width of buttons as they are split across the full width of the screen. But for the most part, you can leave that middle ground as uh, kind of fuzzy. What happens when you need to center something? Well, uh, on higher resolution devices, it's okay for you to be kind of bridging a half pixel because on retina devices that are 2x or, or even 3x, that difference is not noticeable and it's actually negligible because a half pixel is as good as a pixel. You don't really need to worry about that too much. If you have a single pixel down the center of the screen and uh, you have, say, an icon that is two pixels thick or something, how do you deal with that? Again, anti-aliasing is such that it's not that big of a deal for the most part on new phones, but if you're thinking about older phones, you just want to pick a side, right? You just want to pick one side to fall to but that's a relatively rare problem. Or, for example, if you have uh, three objects and they need to all have the same width, um, you just add that extra pixel or take away that extra pixel from the middle so that it's it's evenly distributed across the width of the phone. These are problems that are not really problems in my mind. It's just math is hard. (laughs) And the main thing is that you want to do, like I said, like build in from the edges and use your grid in from the edges and let it get fuzzy in the middle. I'm really happy to see Figma's auto layout V3 sort of help us change the language here where they mm-hmm. the auto layout now supports things like, you know, fixed width versus fill space. Fill container. And yeah. that helps you think more in terms of like relative sizing or, or constraint based layouts. It's very mm-hmm. similar to Flexbox. And I feel like as soon as you move into that world, yeah, like the space between elements, like set the gap to 8 or 12 or 16 or whatever, mm-hmm. but the width itself, it doesn't matter if it falls on a grid line. Like it's going to, it's always going to be busted based on someone's font size preferences and their OS, if they have zoom like preferences enabled, if they rotate their phone, if they have an iPad and they're rendering the app at two thirds versus one third width, it's like everything is relative. Um, I might piss some people off, but I feel the same way about color. Hmm. Color, like, yeah, spend some time on the system, but also just remember that your users are seeing this color at day and night, inside and outside. They're seeing it with night shift on or off, true tone on or off. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you care about 
relative contrast. The, the value, like the hex value or the rendered he- whatever RGBA, it doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. What you care about is the relative contrast, assuming that some people might see it more reddish, some people might see it more bluish, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't want to be a slanderous non-crafts person, <laughs> but I think kind of like you said, like these are problems that are kind of non-problems in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you agree with that? <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. And and additionally, like the grid is more vertical, like the, the adherence to that grid in my mind is more vertical than it is horizontal. So yeah. like the heights of things don't care what size your device is. It's the width that becomes flexible. So when you're laying out that grid, when you're creating components, you just want to think about their heights and how they push things down. And even then, I'm not super stringent on staying to the eight-point grid. Things just need to stack on top of each other. And maybe you have a font that's like 14-point and it has an 18-point line height. Like, that's going to mess up your grid, but it's okay. Just pick it up at the end of where this thing ends, and that's where you start your new grid from. So, yeah, it's, it's less about... No one really cares about, they're not going to lay an eight-point grid over your screen and see, like, oh, this, this doesn't match up by, by one pixel or whatever. A designer might. Yeah. They might, yeah, yeah. But they will notice if you have weird spacing around things that isn't consistent or there isn't a consistent cadence of things down the screen. So, yeah, again, I'm, I'm less concerned about some of those edge cases because you can just pick it right back up where you leave off. Yeah. Well, let us know if this was helpful for you, Joey Jungle. If we missed anything or if we didn't quite answer the question, let us know. Leave us a follow-up comment on that GitHub issue. And for everyone else, if you have other thoughts on this, uh, if you want to disagree with us or call us blasphemous for saying that some of these things don't always matter, uh, hit us up on Twitter. We would love to debate it. Yeah. All right. Let's go cool things. Cool things. I think you go first this week. All right. I'll go first. So... I have a game this week, Brian, and I was talking mm. to you a little bit about beforehand, mm. and it's called Little Nightmares 2. This is the sequel to a game called Shocker, Little Nightmares. I uh, came out a <laughs> Hang few... Hang on. You? <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, wait a minute. Is that how it works? Um, <laughs> it'd be funny if it was called Little Nightmares 1. Nothing is ever called 1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Iron Man 1. It's like, hang on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, So Little Nightmares is very similar to Limbo or Inside. If you played either of those games, you are a child. It's a platformer puzzle type game moving from left to right, um, but it's fucking creepy. And you are, like I said, you're a child in this world of adults that are much, much larger than you, and they're fucking scary. It's kind of like a horror game mixed with a puzzler, mixed with a platformer. Which is surprising that you are playing this, because you historically you're pretty anti-horror game right yeah i played during the day brian with the with the bright sun outside (laughs) and and the shades open and not before bed yeah well you know it's it's not true horror and the you know it's tolerable i can i can handle it so even if you're not into scary games this one is really good and it's so beautiful for how gross everything looks like it's it's the trailer made it looked incredible uh, yeah. The Steam trailer. Yeah. So I haven't finished it yet. I'm, I'm, I just started playing it. I'm maybe like a few levels in. But it's already different from the first one while still being very similar. So if you like the first one, highly recommend the second one. Cool. Got lots of body chills, man. <laughs> like things Oof. chasing you. 
Like, uh, the oh. sound, the sound design alone is just enough to bring chill bumps to anybody's skin. But yeah, mm. that's my cool thing. What you got? Uh, okay, so I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I've been tinkering on my personal website design, and yeah. in doing so, overthinking the shit out of every possible decision. Uh-huh. And I just started sharing like a thread of screenshots on Twitter of like, here's some before and afters. What do you think? And then I make some changes, iterations, and I add another tweet to the thread. So uh, I'll have a link in the show notes. I don't know. There's just a few screenshots in there. And I had one mock up where I basically went all in on mono spaced, a mono typeface, right? Mm. Like using the system mono. And I was like, am I overdoing it? Like, what do you think? And some people respond like, yeah, you're definitely overdoing it. But you should check out this typeface called IA Quattro, which comes from uh, IA Writer. I don't know if you use that, but it's my note-taking app of choice. I use IA Writer. Well, apparently they've open-sourced the typefaces that they use. So they have Hmm. IA Mono, IA Duo, and IA Quattro. I don't know what happened to Trio. I guess they (laughs) killed it. No, it's an exponential thing, Brian. Oh, okay. (laughs) Next, IA Octo. Yeah, there you go. Um, so IA Quattro, I don't have great vocabulary for typography, but it's like kind of a mono, like you get the vibe of a mono, but it reads a little bit more like a sans, like you don't Mm. have as much legibility issues for body copy or, or like a longer paragraph of text with IA Quattro. And so I tweeted a screenshot following up, like showing how it looked. And I think people are into it. I like it on my end. I'm... I could go back and forth on this kind of stuff. I generally stick with system fonts, so I never have to worry about this kind of thing in general. But I like it, and so I was going to recommend it for other people who who have maybe encountered the same situation where they want the feel of a mono, but they can't because it just loses legibility when you use it in body copy. This might be kind of a nice, happy middle ground for a lot of people. And it's free. It's open source. It's on GitHub. Yeah, I'm scrolling through it, and I, exactly what you said. Yeah, it's a mono, but it reads like a sans. That's crazy. Yeah, it looks worse at large sizes. Like I, I have it in a couple subheadings, and it puts too much space on space characters, which is kind of driving me nuts. <laughs> so I might have to do some like dynamic stuff. Like subheadings are always a sans, so it reads a little more compact. But I don't <laughs> hate it on body, honestly, because the body copy is a little bit smaller. Uh, it feels fine, and I'm using it for like some navigation or or like some metadata elements on on the page, and I think it looks good. Maybe I'll hate it in a week, but I'm gonna try it. My favorite little details they put a little dot in the middle of zeros. Looks really pretty. Oh yeah, I see that. That's nice. Cool, cool thing, Brian. All right. Well, this has been episode 396 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Always tweet at us, DM us. We love hearing from you. If you have your own question or topic or or idea that you'd like for us to discuss on a future episode, go to github.com slash design details slash design details and open an issue. And uh, we would love to see that and talk about it on on a future episode. Otherwise, if you are enjoying the show and and want to support us, please consider going to patreon.com slash design details for just a dollar a month. You can make the future of the show possible. And in return, you get access to full episodes that bonus supporter-only segment called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Gotta have the echo. And uh, this week's sidebar, we talked all about design debt, how to deal with it, how to fight back against it, and a whole lot more. So if you want to hear that, the backlog of sidebars and full episodes going forward, that's at patreon.com slash design details. That's it. We'll see you next week. 
Bye. And last but not least, Brian Nelson. Well, at the very least, I think you got that one right. You know, I got to say, I don't think there's that many Brian's on board. So it's always nice to have another Brian in the club. And now that I'm saying it, I don't think we have any Marshalls on board either. No, no Marshalls. There's, I mean, there's no a shortage Marshalls of, there's a dearth of Marshalls worldwide, I think, but I like yeah. it that way. S- spread the news. We need a Sarah McLaughlin sort of style advertisement it says like, if your name is Marshall and you're not supporting the podcast, we need you to... <laughs> Join our ranks, you know, in the arms of the angels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, you just said Brian on board, and all I can think of is that yellow sign that people have on the back of their cars that says "Baby on board," and I want to make one that says <laughs> Brian on board. Brian on board. <laughs> yeah.